the galaxy burns. The heretic falls. And the Emperor protects. Welcome, Imperial citizens, to the Emperor Protects Your Horse Heresy podcast, where we go into the lore and ask all kinds of questions. Uh, my name is Doug with 2 Plus Tough, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan. How you doing, Dan? Doing great, my friend, and you're doing well? Uh, yes, yes. If you guys have been curious as to why we were out for so long, COVID came to my house and just absolutely tore havoc. <laughs> so my <laughs> wife and I are just kind of getting back in the saddle with our respective work, and I'm very excited to be behind a microphone again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great to be here with you. So Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, this episode is going to be a little bit different from our previous ones. You see, up till now, we have been going book by book as we kind of shotgun blast around the various uh, theaters of war for the horse heresy we mm-hmm. did the betrayal of calf kind of story we've done um what is it the assault on prospero those kinds of things mm-hmm. but this episode we're gonna step back a little bit and just have a discussion and i i think and i certainly hope that it's interesting for everybody dan you you threw me a uh, a document that was like comparing and contrasting legion personalities and yes. i was like oh this is so much fun we got to just talk about it like just let's just good. take a day and just chat <laughs> great sure uh and so yeah our topics today we have two of them first one is going to be uh, a, fit, a definitive chat on the space wolves and thousand suns who was right quote unquote in you know, quotes around the word right with prospero yes and then the second one is uh heresy buddies we're going to compare and contrast legions because that's just really fun to do there's a lot of great foils that oh, the yeah. writers have put together um but right here before we get into that i wanted to ask do you have any hobby progress or you were telling me about a book that you just recently listened to and wanted to chat about yeah it's a uh, the new uh, it's not one of the big books in the Siege of Terra series. It is one of the novellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Graham McNeil wrote a couple already. This one is called Garrow Knight of Grey. Mm. And it is, if first of all, I would highly recommend that if you have not listened to Flight of the Eisenstein or read or listened or read the Garrow book, mm-hmm. that you do so because a lot of stuff in this newest Garrow book is there's a lot of context that you lose if you don't have those other stories. Yeah. Um, you just will not know what he's talking about or what Mortarian is in this. He's talking about, uh, but it is just an unbelievable story by, uh, James Swallow. And he's, he's kind of the Garrow guy. He's written the Garrow stories. Um, so highly recommended, but Mm -hmm. also, that you do that kind of homework before yeah and it's it's good homework it's enjoyable stuff it's something you want to do oh yeah but yeah yeah we mentioned fly the eisenstein being probably my favorite of the the first early horus heresy books because it's just a roller coaster i mean and that's just garrow's life it just doesn't stop yeah. <laughs> yeah and all the short stories in the book garrow uh kind of you know track his life and yeah. his life is a a marine so it really really was good and so i just wanted i'm going to recommend it on my own show as well again and uh encourage people to give it a listen so absolutely yeah okay that's fantastic uh for me i kind of took a break from black library books just while i was sick and was just listening to history (laughs) basically learning all about world Uh war one so i don't have a whole lot to offer here now but (laughs) okay nice um as far as listener mail goes we actually do have a question today and uh if you would like to ask us a question feel free to address either um you have dan's uh outlet which is cubic shenanigans the podcast and i have my youtube channel you can leave comments here or go onto my discord in the show notes and and ask questions there uh, but this one comes from YouTube. It's uh, by author DW, and I'm going to let you take the reins on this one here. I'm going to ask it oh, for you. So sure. question for the next video on loyalists, which is pertinent to today. I don't know much about 30K or 40K, but I hear that the emperor actively discouraged worship of him, and in 40K, that <laughs> is totally lost. Are yes. there any chapters or companies who respect that aspect, or are they all fanatical cultists at heart? That's a that's an excellent question. I I think we're going to address that I think a little bit mm-hmm. because one of the compare and contrast things we talk about in here is uh heresy zealots. So uh to the to the writer of the question, uh I think we're going to address that a little bit uh in terms of 
you know, 30K. In terms of 40K, I think it's really interesting that the most of the Space Marine chapters, the Loyalists, because obviously the, the heresy uh, chapters don't care about any of that, but the Loyalist chapters, it's funny that even though there's the Imperial Creed and, you know, there's the worship of the Emperor in 40K, most Space Marine chapters don't really want anything to do with that. Yep. They're really not, they, they kind of tolerate it, I would say, Doug, more than, you know, participate in it. And, you know, in the the uh, Indomitus uh, era now that we're in, in 40K, 41K, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, even Gilliman is struggling with the whole worship the emperor thing. Yeah, he he is struggling mightily. And when you uh, listen to the uh, three books that were written about him, he just doesn't know what to do. So, and I have to say that was actually some of the most compelling forty k lore that's come out to me personally mm. uh, in the last several 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 years. I mean. I love the heresy stuff, but I felt like 40K had gotten stagnant. But there's a speech by Gilliman when he first comes back and, like, sits in front of the Emperor. And he's just like, look at what they did to our dream. And I was like, oh, that's so sad. (laughs) That's so sad. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. That's so true. Uh, I was just, uh, that blew me away. So, like, it's it's complicated. Everyone deals with their relationship to the emperor. I would say it's definitely not the same kind of, um, religious zeal that, uh, we experience today. When we, when we talk about, you know, commonly the concept of God, it's not quite the same. Cause the emperor is like, the whole point is that he's sitting in his chair overwatching humanity right now. Like he's a very present active deity on Terra watching you, as opposed to you know some someone in the sky, depending on your religion, <clears throat> and so right. um, it's just a very it's a very interesting topic. And like I said, yeah, we're going to get into that more specifically when we talk about uh, Imperial Fists and some other other legions. So hang in there, DW. We'll get to that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and in the meantime, um, Dan and I have one little announcement here. We're going to talk all about it, and that is that you and I are running an event at Adepticon. Would you like to chat about that? Sure, we're running the uh, Age of Sigmar Youngbloods event, and it's you know for younger people who are interested in the hobby. They're not quite ready to jump into the mega tournament with two hundred plus people in it, yeah. and uh, we we tried to set it up so that it's uh, not only competitive because we we tried to keep that piece of it where it is a game. There are winners. Uh, but we've also tried to add some elements that are going to make it fun to play and make you want to come back again, again and again yeah. to to play the game. So, yeah, essentially it's a it's an H Sigmar tournament on Sunday at Adepticon for players 14 and younger. There is a a 40k version that's already sold out, y'all, and we have five out of our is it 16 spots. Yes, uh, sold, and we want to at least get that to 10. Uh, so. I made the joke before, and Dan wanted me to say it. If you don't do it for us, do it for yourself in the mimosa that you get to drink on Sunday and recover while we're watching yes. your freaking kids. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, <laughs> treat yourself Perfect. at Adepticon. So, but basically, yeah, it's a, um, it's a simplified format where we, we use the core rules of the game and whatever you know, battle tome or army book you have, and really that's about it. We don't worry about the GHBs. The missions are custom-made and come with the packet. It's, it's a whole bunch of great stuff, and it's just meant oh, yeah. to be very light and also introduce kind of the next generation to tournaments and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, awesome. Go ahead and, and check out uh, my YouTube channel. has a whole breakdown of the pack and how it plays and what the goals are of the missions and that kind of stuff. So, please go check that out. I will try to remember to leave a, a link in the description directly to that video down below. Great. Yeah. Good uh, stuff. Without that, with that out of the way, I think we're ready to start diving into our, our main topics. Yes. And the first one we have here, Space Wolves or Thousand Suns, Choose Ye Now and Why. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, and I threw down a few talking points just so like there's events that happen to both legions that we can kind of compare and contrast. But mm-hmm. Dan on the surface level, 
What do you think about the events surrounding Prospero and the overall tension between those two legions? Yeah, I I certainly am sympathetic to the Thousand Sons. Yes. Uh, I get that Magnus did what he did, but his legion was always loyal. They were loyal, in my opinion, of course. And by the way, okay, I just wanted to drop that there are probably going to be a lot of hot takes in this discussion today. Oh, yes, so, yes. This is a hot take episode. This is why we moved away lot. from the books. <laughs> uh, so I certainly sympathize with them. Yeah. And the fact that, and we just talked about this, how the emperor just totally hosed these guys. I mean, they are psychers. That's what he, he made them to be psychers, a legion of psychers. And he took that away from them. Like, I can't even imagine what that would be like. So I understand how they are just like, uh, no, uh, we're not, we're not going to play anymore. And, you know, take their football with them and go home. Uh, On the other hand, you know, the Space Wolves, I think, are a much more complex. We've talked about this, too, legion that a lot of people perceive them to be. And a lot of people in the story perceive them to be. And I think that, you know, we just had this discussion about Prospero Burns. I think Lehman Russ struggled and struggled and struggled up to the very last moment to attack Prospero and attack his uh, his brother Magnus. Mm-hmm. And to take sides is to me really difficult other than if you already have some, you know, pre-established favorite on either one of those. I had a 40 40k thousand sons army. I also had a 40k space wolves army. <laughs> but I'm uh, I enjoy the wolves and their canon more in terms of their origins and you know the space viking meme and those kind of things yeah so i pick them because i think again opinion that they were uh not what they were not the savage barbarian legion that just went just okay we're there boom you ordered us go burn it to the ground that really wasn't the story so I think, in a way, the Emperor uh, and Horus uh, victimized Lehman Russ and the Space Wolves. Hmm. In some ways, the way the Thousand Sons were victimized by the Emperor. Really? So that that's my thought. And, and I'll take the, the Space Wolves um, for, for <laughs> okay. my choice. What about you? So I am on Team Thousand Sons. Just throw it out there at the beginning. For me, uh, I will say that the... Uh, Prospero Burns book did probably the most that any singular book has done in terms of making the Space Wolves compelling, like Mm -hmm. their motivations and how they perceive things and their traditions and honor. Like it just looks different. And I think it required that particular perspective to tell that story. And I think it was well done. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I do feel like it's made abundantly clear that the Space Wolves are okay with the fact that they are made to hunt other legions. Like, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Everyone has a job to do, but the problem is, is that the Thousand Suns' job is to take humanity to the next level. They were always a, a psychic-based legion who were supposed to be studying the esoteric and and all these things. Like they were designed with an aptitude, and the two are incompatible. And between the two of them, I go with the Thousand Suns, who are trying to push forward. Uh, you know, albeit arrogantly, but in addition, mm-hmm. like try to you know the whole discussion around these early books of the heresy is what happens when there's no more war what happens when humans yeah. win and right. space wolves have no answer whereas i feel like the thousand suns are like well then we tackle the next challenge you know and we do this and we do that we push further and like there's an optimism there that is very rare <laughs> in, in mm. i guess the 31st millennium at this point and um what i put note here in the notes for you is i'd rather face hard questions about morality based on the use of psychic powers than build an intergalactic empire on the hypocrisy surrounding those same abilities so mm-hmm. the thousand suns are all about like yeah we use the warp for everything why don't we master it and then the everyone else is like whoa 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 sure you know it's our sure. gps device but we don't want to go too crazy <laughs> and, and that's about it and um 
the the details that the different books left out to me were very interesting for example they don't talk about psychic spies in the thousand suns book which is a super dark note (laughs) to think about (laughs) yeah um but also i love that they include all the auxiliary like the human elements in the space wolves book being like i'm not working with those guys those guys are (laughs) monsters (laughs) (laughs) right right um and the when both books more so with thousand sons than space wolves went to the council of Nikea. That was a very interesting thing. Cause one of those approached it as a discussion. Thousand sons initially came as a discussion, mm-hmm. but everybody else was there thinking it was the trial of Magnus. And it's just sure. like, Oh, that's not good. <laughs> I would like good. again for the, in, you know, kind of to the credit of the space wolves, they were supportive of Magnus. Yes. Let's be clear of that. You know, again, which is part of that theme I talked about of Lehman Russ waiting and just not wanting to do what he was asked to do. Yeah. Um, he, he just didn't think it was right. You know, he had a huge moral dilemma when it came to uh, doing in uh, Prospero. So, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, now stuff. that I think about it, I, I really see the argument instead of being Space Wolves or Thousand Sons, I feel like it's more Thousand Sons versus the Emperor and the Space Wolves were just the instrument of, <laughs> of that. Yeah, I think so in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, we've talked about we, what well, we're going to talk about it here again today. It's another story of, you know, the Space Wolves have been in the past and still are an incredibly independent legion so much as you can be. And so I think that the decision, even though he was manipulated, I still think that Lehman Russ was incredibly um, introspective mm-hmm. when it came to making the choice of whether or not he was going to do what he was told to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he as you know, everybody, he's a loyal dog and you know, this kind of, that to me is just way too, uh, simplistic. I would agree. And I think definitely a scene that shows that is when the space wolves were like being very abundantly clear about needing permission to do whatever it takes to win a, a war in oh. the burning of Prospero. And I'm just like, right. Cause they need to cross all the T's because they understand the gravity of what they're doing. Like, yes, it's not just, Oh, now the thousand sons are bad. Go get them. It's like, no, he understands. This is this is galactic civil war with space this, wizards. Like he gets it. <laughs> this is not Angron and the World Eaters. Where exactly, it's just like yes. kill. <laughs> yeah. No. Yep. Exactly. Um, anyway, so we 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 land on opposite ends of that, and that's that's totally yeah. fine. I mean, it's part of the yeah, fun of these absolutely. conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? That's. I think we're going to end up that way in a few of these. So that's great. And that's, you know, that's we asked true. the question in our last one regarding the Thousand Suns. Did Magnus do anything wrong? Yes. Did he have to? Yes. Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do something wrong and you don't lose or you can't win. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Oh man. I love it. I, I, I really appreciated the, the tonal change between those two books because mm-hmm. the space wolves one started so dark and chaotic with, you know, our, our protagonists arrival on Fenris and this kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, whereas the thousand suns one was just much more sympathetic. I don't know. I thought it was, it was a wonderful breakdown. Thank you for, oh. for going through that with me. <laughs> oh, no, it's, you you picked out a critical issue that there is this tonal uh, difference that's very significant between the two books. There's just no question. Yeah, yeah. No question. All right. And we're going to move into kind of the main segment for today. Uh, heresy buddies. Comparing, contrasting Legion personalities. So when we did the our initial intro into Prospero, we were excited because this was our chance to start looking into legions more deeply, right? These books offer amazing perspectives Uh for their respective legions. And we thought it was a good point to stop with the stories and then kind of like reflect on the legions as a whole. And because at this point we've covered a few different major theaters of war. We have the events on, um, Calth, Prospero, the Istvan tragedy, all those kinds of things. So, uh, Dan put together this list of, of kind of grouping the various legions together. And I would love for you to run through these with me. We'll just, we're just going to have a chat style with hot sure. takes. <laughs> I, my first one was heresy hypocrites. So there's some little kind of, you know, cute, uh, verbiage here yeah. that I, I put together. So the heresy hypocrites, I listed the dark angels and the death guard. Mm. And, uh, to me, 
the dark angels are incredibly hypocritical, specifically Lionel Johnson. Hmm. I will state from the beginning that I am an anti-fan. I cannot stand Johnson. <laughs> Luther is the man. And once you, you know, listeners, you get into the Dark Angels novels, you'll know what I'm talking about here. But uh, I just, you know, first of all, there was, uh, and this is not in the heresy, but it's it's definitely related very closely to this, was there was a... Uh, a kind of a mini series in 40k called the wrath of Magnus and Magnus actually came back in his demon form and invaded Fenris once again. Yep. But there were dark angels, there were space wolves. Um, and one of the things that the dark angels kind of found out about was the 13th great company. And for those who know that is the uh, company of the space wolves who have totally given over to the wolf gene. You know, mm-hmm. they've, they've literally become wolfen is what they're called. And, you know, this is, this is heretical. I mean, it's genetic deviancy. It's yep. similar in many ways. You know, we talk about how the Thousand Suns and the Space Wolves are different. Think about the genetic flaw that the Thousand Suns had. Yeah. Where they turned into literally almost chaos spawn. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a genetic flaw. The same thing with the Space Wolves. And they don't want people to know about it because Inquisition, you know? Yes, exactly. But the Dark Angels, from the beginning, I mean, it is part of their canon, part of their culture to keep secrets. And Johnson was always such a hypocrite about this, you know? And when the Dark Angels found out about the Space Wolves, they're like, oh, my gosh, you guys are, you know, horrible people. And he... <laughs> He won't even tell his own legion what's going on. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, not to mention not telling any other s- legions about the schism. His own legion revolted, and he doesn't want to tell anybody about it. You know, this is what the fallen are all about. And it's it, the other thing, there's another mm-hmm. story where uh, Johnson and uh, Sanguinius are together, and Gilman in the is it is it the what is it the undiscovered empire the one where oh, they thought the emperor empire? was dead yeah right and literally johnson made a promise to sanguinius that he would not kill curse he would not do it he wanted to but he would you know put him in chains and bring him before sanguinius whatever <laughs> man when you read the book yeah. you're going Oh my gosh, what a lying son of a... He he had no intention of not killing Kurz. It was his goal was to kill uh, Conrad Kurz. And so the Dark Angels in general, Johnson in particular, are just so hypocritical and dishonest, I think, as a legion and particularly him as a Primarch. So that's my thought on their part of hypocrisy. I think that's wonderful. Um, the I'm going to kind of, I, I made my own little document for everybody else, everybody where I'm kind of like putting in my own little hot takes to dance thing, my rebuttal corner. <laughs> and um, my, my thing is I, I love those takes. I just also slipped in uh, the blood angels and space wolves, thousand sons, all of those guys, because uh. Uh, they all knew something was terribly wrong. Like, like on one hand, we're, we're the custom made hand of the emperor for either dispatching legions or Mm. pushing humanity to the next level or being the defenders, like the blood angels. And all of them are just like harboring the worst secrets. And you're like, you're all are a bunch of losers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This was going to, you had, you had failure written on all of you. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Oh man. That's a good one. Okay. Uh, go ahead. What about the Death Guard? What are you? What are your thoughts on them as as hypocrites? Because Mortarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, with Mortarian, so he voted no on the use of psychic powers, and as we now know as Demon Primarch, he's actually a pretty competent wizard, both on the table and in the lore. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah i I think 
with their theme of like stoicism uh with the the death guard of just being you know imperturbable and moving forward and these implacable advances i think it's interesting that the minute more power and a different kind of thing that he could be instantly good at was offered or was like yeah i'll do that (laughs) that showed a weakness of character how about that i think that's probably a good one i mean i understand that what his men went through and why they turned to plague marines but for materian personally it was a little bit different i feel like he is certainly a, a hypocrite in that regard and it's funny that this Garrow book I just talked about, you know, there's a confrontation between Garrow and his Primarch, who's now changed. He is in his demon form. And Garrow is just like constantly calling him out like every other page. Yeah. <laughs> it is just hilarious. You did this and you did this. And Mortarian's just like, he's silent because he has no response to any of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. He's just such a loser, man. Oh, my gosh. Uh, crazy uh, okay Our next one here we have blood for my god and your options were world eaters and blood angels and i certainly agree with those two choices <laughs> okay. yeah uh do you want to go into more of those or just this pretty much yeah i mean or, yeah i think the blood angels it's interesting because uh you know the more you learn about them and i think what's interesting is the siege books actually create give you a lot of uh backstory that i think a lot of the other heresy books don't give you about the blood angels like they're it's almost like their uh origin story and you realize what they were before they became sanguinius's angels and man <laughs> they're they are just we know about you know the the rage and the black the Black Rage and um, the the curse that they have. We know mm-hmm. about that. But, man, they are just some bloodthirsty dudes. Like, Yeah, they're they're into it more than any good guy should be into it. <laughs> 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 Which makes them fun. I mean, not compelling yeah. as heroes, of course, but... Yeah. And uh, yeah. you think about the Flesh Terrors. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this, those guys are just the epitome of what they're kind of like this vestigial organ, you know, that's just hung around. Yes. Yep. They're what the, they're what the blood angels used to be. And then you go to the world leaders who it's very obvious. I mean, it's just out there Mm -hmm. how bloodthirsty they are. Uh, You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter from where the blood flows or where the skulls come from or whatever. (laughs) It's just, um, so they're a lot more, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah. For listeners who don't know, the flesh terrors are a uh, like a no, chapter uh, that was born out of the blood. Chapter. Yeah, successor. That's what I was looking for. Yep. Chapter that was made. And if I was going to use the GW paint scheme spectrum to describe them, I'm going to say they're somewhere between Mephiston red and corn red, which <laughs> makes perfect sense given between blood angels and world eaters. But <laughs> yes. oh, man. this is a shade in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, in fact, there's. I think there's a new. I'm going to talk about it uh, on our show this my my show this week. There's a new Flesh Terrors novel coming out. Oh, I really? Think. So, yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting for fans of that. I might check that um, out because I, I when I was in Seattle, there was a big buzz because there was a guy who meticulously painted this entire Flesh Terrors army that looked terrific. Oh, it was just so good. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Um, okay, for our next entry, we have the Heresy Zealots. So mm-hmm. now we're getting back into DW's question here. Word bearers and Imperial Fists are what you have here. Right. Uh, do I add something? Let's see. What are you... No, I didn't. I, I was cool with those answers. That's pretty much... Those are the big ones, I think. Um, and in this, I wanted to ask, are Imperial Fists, in your mind, Zealots of the Imperial Truth? Yeah, I think... You know, Dorn is so uh, just so determined to not deviate at all. His yeah, obviously the Imperial Fists are very effective yeah. as a legion. They're very efficient, but they just blindly follow anything the Emperor says. And when you read the siege books you realize that he is so blindly um, locked into the way he does things that 
it actually causes the uh, loyalists to lose the war, start losing the war and losing the siege because his plans are so locked in. And it actually took other loyalist primarchs who used unorthodox tactics to fight the traitors that made it more of a an even battle. And Dorn, you get this feeling as you're reading through the siege books, just going, you just picture him sitting up in one of his towers, watching what's happening with this really morose uh, inevitability, just kind of the shroud of it over him. Hmm. And you see these other Primarchs going to do things or other characters going to do things. And the reason it's like that is because he wouldn't, be flexible. I mean, even there's a Garrow story where he had locked up his own librarians, literally locked them up. He didn't just, <laughs> you know, send them back into the battle line like most of the legions did, yes. just be a Marine. He literally locked them up in this non-psychic cell, and they were just sitting there because, you know, they're good space Marines and they obey their Primarch. And Garrow was just looking at this like... What is this? I love it. I love that little lore tidbit. Like everybody else like redistributed their troops and spread them out. And Dorn's just like, oh, you nerds like being in the library? He just locks the door. <laughs> They're all inside. Horrible. <laughs> but that's Dorn. That's just you're one of your favorite scenes with the Garrow book. Yes. You know, Eisenstein is when he just smacks Garrow around. Like, how dare you say anything against <laughs> it's not possible for. OK, whatever. I love uh, it. I love it so much. Yeah. That's a great call out. Yeah, he's he. It's interesting because like Zealot has a very interesting connotation because we mm. can look at say the uh, the Black Templars, which are a successor of the Imperial yes. Force, and say oh. those are Zealots. Yes, and now that's you just called out a perfect example. That is where they came from. Was Dorn? Yeah, and <laughs> they but, were born of Dorn. You know, and, and yeah, they and, are. Yeah, I wouldn't say that the Imperial Fists are necessarily the same level of zealotry, but oh, it's no. the same inflexibility of their mindset that, it, it, I mean, it might as well be. As much as faith to the word bearers is, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. This is the truth, but we're doing it. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, you, you actually called out a better parallel. But, but I think, you know, Templars, the Black Templars are really a 40K thing because yes. they came after the heresy. But in terms of their zealotry, they are definitely on par with the word bearers. Um, they uh, yeah, the emperor, you know, it's all about the emperor and the imperial truth and worshiping the emperor and, and yeah. all that stuff. He, no less Sigismund and the the creators of the Black Templars are no less uh, crazy about their beliefs than Lorgar is about his. So that's yeah. great. great yeah, call. absolutely. Um, you had two here for tribal heritage, which I actually added a third, but you have space yes. wolves and white scars. And you added, uh, I actually added the iron hands, I believe. Let me just double check. Mm -hmm. Yes. Iron hands. Now I'll get into why I added those two, but tell me what kind of, were you just thinking of like surface level, how they function and organize? Well, and I, I think it has to do with their basic culture. I mean, the yeah. culture of the planets they come from their home planets. And I don't think there's any other uh, legions. Those are the ones that pop out to me. And Iron Hands, certainly, and I understand because I know the lore of the Iron Hands. Uh, but you think about the Space Wolves. They didn't change Fenris. They didn't come to the planet and make it this imperial planet and create hive cities. And they just let Fenris be Fenris. And yeah. what was it? It was literally Vikings... On this, it was a planet of Vikings, and it was a bunch of tribal uh, communities that fought against each other and were in competition and survived on this death planet. White Scars wasn't a death planet per se, but again, you know, the Khan literally um, built his uh, what do you call it, the Legion Fortress, way out of the way of yeah. the people. So it was not even apparent that it was there because he wanted to preserve that, uh, I, I guess, the closest. I think we're supposed to think that the closest uh, real world thing would be the Mongols. You know, that right. has that model. And so he wanted to keep that tribal type of 
society to feed into. Again, he didn't uh, allow the Imperium in, neither did the Space Wolves. Even in the 40th millennium, they're both incredibly uh, independent uh, chapters, and they will broach no interference from the Imperium, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and I have no objections to either of those. That's, I mean, they definitely look the part. But one yes. I wanted to give an honorable mention to was the Iron Hands. Now, yes. if you are not familiar, Iron Hands are mostly known for like being related to the Mechanicum, which is about as far as you can get away from tribal culture as you can just about imagine. But here's the thing about the Iron Hands is that when Ferris Manus set up their legion, when he took over, he structured it as his primitive clans did back on his home world. Yes. And that's why I really like this idea of, if you're not familiar, if you haven't read anything with the iron hands or any of their little supplements, they have like a clan Raukan supplement that came out years yes. ago. Yes. Essentially all their companies are individual self-contained army clans. One of those is clan Raukan. And as your company does well, you get access to the next wave of weapons and armor and stuff like you upgrade <laughs> And because of their warrior culture, the people who are doing the worst, meaning they have the worst equipment, are just excited to get into war. And so they have this like whole societal carrots and sticks to make these very primitive clans act like space marines. It's very cool. I, I just I like that a lot. And sure. uh, less so than like, I guess, the outward appearance of a tribal culture, I feel like they really took the step of like integrating it with modern warfare and technology. And so they almost remind me of like Khan from Star Trek of like this guy out of his own time, bringing primal tactics to a sure. modern, you know, whatever. I love it. So I wanted to throw those guys in because just because of the clan structure that they have, which I thought was really cool. Yes. I think it's, that's a great call. Yeah. Good. Uh, next up we have the shadow warriors. And you put down Alpha Legion and Raven Guard. Mm -hmm. I can't think of any. For some reason, I was thinking there was another uh, sneaky one. Maybe Night Lords, maybe, but they don't really start sneaky. They're scary. well, you know, they're all about terror. <laughs> yeah. They're all about, like we're here. We're gonna, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, they're only sneaky as long as it takes to show you some guy's face they just ripped off or something. <laughs> oh, bad stuff. Yeah. Oh, so. Um, yeah, I I really enjoy the Alpha Legion as well. I think that there's still uh, argument that can be made of whether or not they're truly traitors. Yeah, I I, I think that still exists now. And even you know, there was uh, several novels have been written about them, and most of them have been written about the Alpha Legion uh, Marines who as hundreds of thousands of others did in other legions, never went over to uh, Horus's side. Right. Now, one of the things I think is important to understand, too, is the Alpha Legion never went to Chaos. No. They have never bought into Chaos Gods or any of that stuff. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of another traitor legion that hasn't gone to the Chaos Gods. Can you? I... I mean, Night Lords in the uh, oh, Aaron yes. Dembski Bowden series did their own thing yes, for a long true. time. Okay, but it is a rarity. I mean, to have Chaos Legions that are that just didn't want the yoke of the Imperium, but yeah. also didn't want Chaos Gods. Like that makes them unique for sure. Yeah, and you know, again, they're not they're heresy because they sided with Horus, but they're not Chaos. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing. Yeah, um, so we'll get to some of their books here soon. I'm very excited to talk about. Alpha Legion, because uh, yeah. they're one of those legions that, like, if you read like their Wikipedia page, you're like, okay, okay, so they're the sneaky ones. But then, kind of like with Prospero Burns, you need that perspective of like, what does that look like mm -hmm. in action? And yes. I like their books for that. I think Alpharius's Primarch book is so good. Really, it it really really demonstrates who he was and what his why his legion was what it was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anybody who can sneak into the Imperial Palace, it's like, holy crap, man. I know. I know. Yeah. That's good. Uh, oh, I so, love it. yeah. So he's, yeah. So Alpha Legion for sure. And I think most people know about the Raven Guard, but, you know, they're, they're kind of their culture is stealth. I mean, they obviously they've 
fought in open battles before, but their preference in most of the stories you read about them are uh, using stealth and using subterfuge to uh, win battles before the, they're even fought, I think, in a lot of ways, kind of like the Alpha Legion does. Yeah. Just in a little bit different way. And obviously, they're loyalists. They fought on the loyalist side. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. I, I think we should do the same thing again, but talk about like their battle tactics, because to me that's where Alpha Legion is so interesting. When when deception yes. becomes a, a wartime strategy, <laughs> it's really yeah. cool. Really well, fun. and I think that's a really good thing. Like with White Scars, um, you know, I I finally listened to the Khan's uh, uh, Primark book. And when you talk about tactics, you know, they were building him his fleet. You know, yeah. when he first became the Primarch and he met the Emperor and he basically went to the shipyards and said, stop, stop everything you're doing. These ships are all wrong. Yep. And he handed them a new set of plans and said, this is what you're going to build for me because this is what I want my Legion to be. Yeah. You know, just like you said about the Alpha Legion, they had their way of doing things. Uh, and and almost every Legion did. So I think that actually would be a great discussion. Yeah, that's a great one. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, next we have the Heresy Poster Boys, and you put Sons of Horus and Ultramarines. And I'm kind of curious, why Ultramarines and not Imperial Fists? Yeah, because I I think not only, I think it carries over from, uh, and we are talking Heresy here, right. but I, I think that the Ultramarines and Gilliman kind of represent more of a, a wide range of... Uh, the stories and more wide range involvement in the heresy than um, than the iron or than the imperial fist do, mm. and so uh, I, I just think that they are more representative of a wider range of and everybody I think compares themselves to the ultramarines in a lot of ways when you read the stories like all oh, the ultramarines do this or they're doing this and they always mention the ultramarines doing things they're over here doing this or they should be here or it, it, you're always hearing references to them right <laughs> from That's the imperial fair. side or even horace's guys are like oh where are the ultramarines where are the ultramarines what are they doing they're not worried about <laughs> the imperial fist like where are the ultramarines yeah, it, so it seems at least uh, on the loyalist side that's what happens. But I also think in the books a lot of times there's reference to Horace's guys. You know, oh absolutely, yeah. Everybody is referencing not only the War Master, but the Sons of Horus have representatives in the other legions in a lot of the books. Well, I mean, we know at least every Trader Legion would probably have like an ambassador or at least a contact mm -hmm. point or something. Yeah, they would be yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how the Mechanicum got involved is Horace sent one of his dudes to Mars. Uh, yes. To, yep. to corrupt the Fabricator General. And um, yeah, so those two make sense to me. Do you have any thoughts on those or? No, my only my only thought was uh, instead of Sons of Horus, uh, sorry, instead of um, ultramarines being imperial fist but okay. they really are the poster boys from the the current horus heresy marketing perspective from games workshop like they're always paired whenever you see a new tank come out it's always sons of horus colors or imperial fist it feels like uh so that's that's oh, why okay. i wanted to clarify and ask i that, feel like that, that's a good point from the model perspective and the hobby perspective yes. yeah 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 and that makes sense i just ask because like it's pretty clear that ultramarines are that in 40k and i think they just wanted to distinguish the lines a little bit so they picked i think that's favorite call. absolutely <laughs> so um that's good the next one you have here is interesting. So it says for humanity and for vanity. And for your <laughs> legions, you had salamanders and emperor's children. Now, yes. I don't know much about the salamanders. Are they vain as well? No. Um, I, so the humanity one is for the salamanders and the vanity one is for the emperor's oh, children. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was so, like, yeah, man, so I'm not seeing this why. pairing. <laughs> so, yeah, because the salamanders really from the beginning have always pledged to protect humanity. Like that is their thing. Right. It's not even to fight chaos or fight Horus or whatever else it is. It's we are here to protect mankind. Yes. That's what our Legion does. And the that is so noble. <laughs> of the setting. It's unique. <laughs> I think it's unique in terms of all the Legions. 
But in terms of the Loyalist Legions, too, there is no uh, doubt what um, the Salamanders stand for and what their priority is in terms of, you know, the actions they take in various stories and at various in battles and things like that. It's always about protecting um, and reducing protecting people and reducing casualties of civilians. So mm-hmm. um, Emperor's Children is pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> vanity, vanity. You look at their ships, just the description of their ships. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, oh, my gosh. Give me uh, a second here. Fulgrim just... It's like they were prime. I don't know what it is, but it's like that Legion was just prime, Doug, for <laughs> just stepping into this prima donna role. Yeah, you know, just yeah, absolutely it, it just fit them so well. Well, it's they, go ahead. no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say um, because I didn't, I didn't see that they were separate things. I actually changed oh. this to craftsmen because. I do know that the salamanders oh. are all about craftsmanship with their weapons, like very ornate relic weapons. Yeah. And the emperor's children are too, but not so much for the quality of the weapon, but more the artistic expressionism that it gives them like mm-hmm. fancy, you know, looking swords and stuff. I, I like that. I mean, there's some great, like, I don't know. I've never seen anything that has those two legions fighting. And I would love to now just knowing how, the salamanders are kind of feared and stuff for their looks and appearance. Yes. Yes. I don't know. That's a great, that's a great fold there between the two. Um, and then the last, uh, last couple you have here are sons of the warp and you put thousand sons there. Yes. And yeah. I actually, I, I threw down blood angels. Um, mm. Mm. I, actually for the next two here, they're a very interesting loyalist chapter because they have so many flaws but are also so morally above board i think more so than space wolves and trying to think what other good guys Mm -hmm. have flaws that kind of stuff you know what i mean like they're just they're good yeah Yeah. you're talking about blood angels yeah so uh as far as the sons of the warp go they have a lot of premonition powers each one of the blood angels is eventually affected by a psychic kind of disease the red thirst and then the black rage yes Uh, and i just i find that compelling um, and then your last one here, you put terror in the dark, which is night Lords. I mean, not, no one else uses fear like night Lords use fear oh, as no. a weapon. No. Um, but the one that I wanted to add was fatalism because I think that oh, there's sh- a great discussion to be had regarding Conrad Kurz and, uh, the leader of the blood angels, sure. uh, Sanguinius. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you're not familiar, they can both have, they both have like premonition. They can see the future in, yes, in, they both in have certain ways. Yep. Um, Kurz took that in a very dark path. Think murderous Batman with a little bit of foresight. And then uh, Sanguinius <laughs> took that in the opposite, which is like duty and honor and all these kinds of things. And seeing the same gift across two different Primarchs. I mean, more Primarchs have this ability, like Magnus, for example. But... Um, it's fascinating to see how they turned out. Well, and I think that's a really good point you make. And both of them actually saw their own deaths. Because Kurz saw his own death and Sanguinius saw his own death. Yeah. You know, and none of the other Primarchs, to your point, ever really are talked about having that happen to them and having that like be a fate that they continually see this path that you're just moving inevitably towards that. Yeah. Yeah. And it messes with them. I mean, cause those two Primarchs get into some of the most ridiculous antics from founding a second Imperium yes. to ripping faces off and wearing them like outfits to, you know, it's just like weird levels of stuff. Oh, uh, it, that whole um, confrontation between Kurz and Sanguinius in the, um, in the, what, what is the book again? You remind me the undiscovered, Oh, um, Unremembered Empire. Unremembered Empire, yeah. Just when Kurz kind of just shows up in the throne room. <laughs> yeah, yes. Just, it's, he's almost taunting a Sanguinius. Yeah. And Sanguinius being the the guy he is, he kind of just sits there and has a conversation with him while he's trying to, you know, goad him into doing something. But when you 
you bring this point up, they both had a lot of those similar outlooks uh, and they're sitting there having a conversation with each other. It was pretty cool, actually, that that confrontation took place. So, Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah. those are our, our heresy buddies, uh, our, our matching yeah. and my little uh, interrupts there. But thank you so much for sending that, Dan. That was super fun to go through and just kind of think about the comparing and contrasting them all. Sure, sure. No problem. That's um, a lot of fun. At this point, you know, I wanted to ask, what what do we want to cover next? Well, um, you can edit this out. So edit break. Yep. Here. I just wrote it down. I don't know why. Did we cover um, First Heretic already? First Heretic. I don't with, think so. With Lorgar, your guy Lorgar. No, I don't think so. I think that might be a great book to talk about. I, I don't know. Um, the story's just so magnificent. And it certainly has, obviously, it has the same kind of an impact as some of the earlier books in terms of uh, giving us, uh, uh, you know, context for everything else that happens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here for it. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so... Whenever you're ready to go back, I just wanted to uh, throw that one out. Mm -hmm. So in terms of ideas, I don't know that we might want to cover First Heretic, uh, which is Lorgar and the Word Bears um, fall to chaos in their journey. And I think there are a lot of compelling characters, Doug, in that story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's do Argel it. Tal and, and others who um, have an impact in just seeing a legion it, it, it was a different kind of fall to chaos too i think then yes it was very unique uh story and how they they turned yeah man let's do it okay i'm excited okay. to talk about some word bearers okay yeah of course <laughs> lorgar is your guy man it's <laughs> he is kind him. of my guy <laughs> i'm painting uh sons of horus but lorgar is lorgar is definitely my spirit animal when it comes to primarchs <laughs> okay the problem is, though, his model, I, I don't care for his model. Sure. He looks like he's standing around waiting for the bus. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there is that. <laughs> yeah. Coolio. <laughs> so, okay. Well, let's go ahead and close out the show. Like I said, if you want to get a hold of us, you uh, can contact us, me through my Discord, YouTube channel, and Dan through his podcast, all of which are in the show notes. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts regarding our hot takes uh, today. And uh, we're excited to get back into book coverage uh, next time we join. Any other final words for you, Dan? No, I think that's it, buddy. Thanks a lot for, for going through this. That was a lot of fun to put it together. And Well, thank you so much, everyone. And we'll catch you next time. May the emperor protect. <laughs> <laughs>